Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to be. And if you, uh, to kind of reorient us a little bit this morning, uh, if you were here over the last couple weeks, uh, this really just this new year, you know that we have started a new series and it's just called Mic Drop and, and it's a clever name, but the whole premise behind it is just uh, there's these moments in Jesus's life, there's a lot of them, but, but we're going specifically through the gospel of Luke uh, and kind of taking these moments where Jesus said something or did something that, that kind of stopped everybody in their tracks uh, and they were amazed at who he was and what he was able to do. And so uh, that's kind of the premise. And just to kind of catch us up, if you haven't been here, uh, so we started a few weeks ago and we looked at, I wasn't here, uh, but uh, Andrew talked about the, um, the, the man that was lowered in through the roof and then Jesus not only heals him, but, but proclaims that his sins are forgiven. Uh, last week we talked about the uh, sinful woman Right, the woman that came to the Pharisee's house and right, kneels down at the, the feet of Jesus and uh, in all her brokenness and shame of her sin, and he pronounces her forgiven. And so that was last week. Uh, and so we're kind of picking up. We're, we're not picking up right where that left off because from that point, if you follow Luke's gospel, you know that Jesus' ministry continued. Uh, he went about and, and continued ministering to crowds. He was teaching. Uh, he was healing. He was telling uh, storms to, to be quiet, cut it out, right? He, uh, my personal favorite uh, at the beginning of Luke chapter 8 is he healed a, uh, he cast demons out of a crazy um, demon-possessed man that ran around a, uh, a graveyard naked. Um, I'm not making that up, like Luke chapter 8. That's, that's my translation of what happened. But um, anyways, all that to say, like Jesus' ministry has continued, and so we're picking it up. Uh, here in Luke chapter 8 with this kind of a, a two-for-one special. All right, so I'm going to read this starting in verse 40, and then we'll, uh, we'll look a little deeper into it. So Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40. It says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. 
And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Would you pray with me this morning just before we dive in? Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your word and, and just these, uh, this passage that we're going to look at today. We see you, uh, we see you bringing restoration and healing and, and I just believe that you might do that here this morning as well. And so, uh, Father, you know the, the lives and the hearts and the situations of every person in this room, um, those that, that aren't able to be with us this morning but are tuning in online, like you know where they are. And so, Lord, I pray that um, by your Spirit working through your Word, that you might bring uh, restoration, that you might bring healing, uh, that you might bring salvation among us this morning. Lord, we ask that and we believe that you can do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, here's what we've got. We've got one sort of bigger passage here. And it's really like a sandwich in effect, right? You've got uh, this first event. We learn about this, this young girl. Another woman shows up. We get to hear about her story. Then we go back to the young girl. And so uh, what we're going to do this morning is I want to look at just kind of each one of those. You've got Jesus doing two separate miracles here. Right? And I want to look at each one of those sort of individually, kind of talk about some of the similarities, the differences, uh, and then really ultimately how these might lead us to uh, respond. And so the first, the first situation we're introduced to is this, this young girl. Right? We got uh, Jesus has, has gone from ministering, and uh, as, he, as he leaves there, he's, he's met by uh, this, this man, and he comes and he throws himself down at Jesus' feet. Right? And he says his daughter is, his 12-year-old daughter is dying. So you can imagine like the desperation, uh, the just the, the angst and the agony that this, this father is feeling, right? He's got a 12-year-old girl uh, that, is, that is essentially on her deathbed, and there's, we don't know what's wrong with her. We don't know what caused it. All we know is that it seems like a, a time-sensitive situation, right? Because the father, like, seeks Jesus out, finds him, throws himself at his feet. He doesn't know what to do. But at least in some capacity, he believes that Jesus is able to do something. Okay, and so um, also like, so he throws himself at Jesus' feet, kind of like the woman from last week's story who throws herself at Jesus' feet, just this act of, of humility. Uh, and then also like the, the Pharisee from last week, this man invites Jesus to his home. Right now, whereas the Pharisee last week invited Jesus just sort of out of curiosity, um, the father invites Jesus out of, it's really an act of faith. It's saying, my daughter is sick. I don't know what to do for her. I'm not, I'm not powerful enough. I'm not capable enough to do anything for, anything for her. But Jesus, I believe that you are. So he invites Jesus to his home. Uh, but, but what's interesting is like that story gets the pause button pressed on it, right? Because the text says that as he's leaving there and he's going to uh, this man's home, all of a sudden there's, there's an interruption, right? He's interrupted by another woman in need. And uh, we're introduced to her. We, we don't know much about her. We don't know her name. All we know is that she has suffered for 12 years from a discharge, or maybe your, uh, your version of the Bible says an issue of blood. Full disclosure, I'm not a doctor. Don't know what that means. To me, if you've bled for 12 years, 
and you've made it for 12 years, you've already beat some kind of odds, right? But um, so, so I, we don't know the fullness of what this is, but this is a significant issue because we know that she has uh, for 12 years dealt with this. She spent all of her life savings, right, to, to get answers, to get help from physicians, and none of them were able to help. All right, so we're, the, the first girl we're introduced to is, it's a desperate situation. She's dying. This woman, right, it's a desperate situation. She, she's like given everything she's had to get help, to get healing, to find a cure, and she's got nothing. All right? So uh, just a couple things, though, that kind of give some backdrop on this. Um, some of the implications for, for where this woman find, found herself. Right? It says that she was... Uh, this issue of blood or this discharge of blood, uh, there would have been some, uh, some spiritual implications of that. Right? She, uh, according to the Old Testament law, if you've read through the book of Leviticus, you've probably come across this at some time. Uh, because of this, this medical issue, there's this discharge of blood, she was considered ceremonially unclean. Right? Now that doesn't really register with us today probably, uh, but what that meant was she was not permitted to go to the temple to offer sacrifices, like she was not permitted to, to engage in those things that, uh, that, that they would have had to engage in in order to be uh, cleansed or to have their sins forgiven according to the Old Testament law. And so by, just by the, very ish, the, the nature of her situation, like she would have been viewed as being uh, rejected by or, or cut off from God. All right, so she is looked, looked down on for that. Right? So not only are there spiritual implications, but there's also um, sort of more horizontal, like social, relational implications. Right? Because of her issue of blood, uh, she, she would not have been uh, able to draw near to people. Right? Because the belief was if, if someone was marked unclean, then you weren't supposed to be around that person because just by the, the nature of proximity, you would become unclean. So not only is she perceived as being cut off from God because of this inability to offer sacrifices and, and engage in worship, but she's also cut off from, from others, right? No, no relationships. She can't draw near to people, right? This is like first century Jerusalem social distancing going on here. It's nothing new under the sun, okay? She's not allowed to, not allowed to be in, in close distance. Like no one would have knowingly or willingly approached her because of her issue. So this is significant, all right, and that's, we kind of see that in, uh, even in the situation, how she approached Jesus, right? She comes to him uh, evidently believing that he can heal her, that, that he can do something, but he approaches her, or she approaches him, I should say, uh, in the middle of a, of a crowd, right? Where there's this crowd pressing in on Jesus, like, I don't know how many, dozens, hundreds, we don't know. People, they're pressing in, and it was kind of in that collection of people that she could have drawn near without maybe without being noticed right, maybe she could sneak in there without anybody pointing out her as hey you're the woman with the issue of blood right what are you doing here right and the text says that uh, not only does she approach in the middle of a, of a crowd that's pressing in on him but she also approached Jesus sort of anonymously right she didn't come fall at his feet and make herself known she didn't introduce herself it says that she just reached up from behind him she didn't want to be seen. She didn't want to be known. She just, I just believe that Jesus can do something about my situation. So sort of in this anonymity, she reaches out and she touches the hem of 
his garment. All right, she's desperate. She's hopeless. She reaches out. She touches him and, and immediately, immediately she's healed. Right? There's no, uh, no recovery period. Right? No, uh, no process for her to go through and then see the results later. It's she, she touches him and she's healed like, like instantly. Right? In, in one moment, Jesus had done for her what 12 years of, of medical professionals at that time could not do. Oh, if you're a medical professional, like, we're thankful for you. I'm not, right? this is not a knock on you. I'm just saying, in this moment, like, she experiences the, the power that Jesus has to, to heal. Now, it would have been great for her if that was the end of the story, right? I'm healed, I'm walking away, everything is awesome, but then things get really uncomfortable in verse 45. Right? Because Jesus says this, who was it that touched me? Right? So Jesus in this moment, even though she reaches out and she's just touched his garment, he knows someone has touched him. Right? Now here's my take on that question. I think Jesus knew who touched him, right? Like, like last week, if you remember, Jesus' interaction with Simon the Pharisee, like Jesus is, is notorious for answering questions that people don't actually ask out loud. You know, like he just knows what they're thinking. He's like, let me go and address that before you open your mouth and say something stupid. Um, so Jesus addresses, like he knows who's touched him. I think this is similar to, if you're familiar with, with Genesis, especially Genesis 3, this account where Adam and Eve, right, they commit the sin, they, they disobey God, and then they hide in the garden. And then the, the text, Genesis 3, I don't remember the exact verse, you hear God walking around in the garden, and what does he say? Adam, where are you? Now, do we really believe that God didn't know where Adam was in the garden he created? No, right? God's invitation to Adam was to draw him out of hiding so that he could deal with Adam. And so I think this question here from Jesus is not out of ignorance. I don't think Jesus is really wondering, hey, who was it that touched me? Somebody, like I felt a brush on my garment. I don't know who it was. Make yourself known. I think he knew exactly who touched him. And I think he asked this question because his goal was to draw this woman out of hiding out of anonymity, right, out of darkness, because right, there's going to be a mic drop moment here. He's going to use her story to make a point here to this crowd. And so she responds. She responds to Jesus' invitation and says that she, uh, she steps forward in, in what would have been probably a really humiliating circumstance. Right? Every, everyone knows when she reveals herself, this is the woman with the issue of blood. We're not supposed to be around her. And here she is in the middle of this crowded street full of people. So, but she steps forward and in humility and vulnerability and maybe even some pain and embarrassment mixed in. She recounts to this crowd, this is who I was. This is what I did. This is what Jesus has done for me. Now I'm healed. And, and I love what Jesus says to this woman. Right, in front of this mass of people who would have thought of her as an outsider, an outcast, unclean, unwelcome, rejected by God, rejected by others. This is what Jesus says to her in verse 48. 
It says, and, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Calls her daughter. The only time in the Gospels that Jesus calls a woman daughter is this moment. He calls her a daughter. And when you like, think of the significance of that, right, this is a woman that was not permitted to draw near to God because of her un uncleanliness. Uh, she was not permitted to draw near to people because of her uncleanliness. She was unclean, unwelcome, left to fend for herself in a culture in which uh, a single woman would have been extremely vulnerable and disadvantaged. And her situation was hopeless. She's been cut off. And Jesus calls her what? Daughter. You're no longer unclean. You're a daughter. You're no longer unwelcome. You're a daughter. You're no longer rejected, an outsider, an outcast. You are a daughter. In this moment, through her faith, in Jesus' power, she's been restored. Right? Everything that was broken for her, in this moment, this one touch of Jesus' garment, she's been restored. Restored to God, she can engage in, in worship at the temple again. She's been restored to people that she can uh, interact with relationally again. She's been restored. So if we could just like camp out here for a second. I, I, I just think because I know because I know what life is like, I know my own life. I've been in ministry long enough to know that there's probably some of us here in this room who just need to be restored. Right? There's there's brokenness. There's uh, there's junk. And we just need to be restored. And I don't mean just physical healing like this woman experienced, though maybe that's part of it. If you have an issue, then and we would love to pray with you for that. We want to ask in faith for that. But, but maybe it's not just a physical thing. It's to be restored spiritually. Right? It, it, not a discharge of blood that's made you unclean, but maybe it's sin. We all have brokenness and sin in some ways, but maybe there's sin that's just like gripped you, that you're like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to get rid of this. And you need the Lord to do some, some restoration. Right? Be, it, be it anger, like deep-rooted anger, or, or bitterness over some event of your past, or lust that you can't seem to get out from under, or pride that kind of infiltrates every nook and cranny of your life. I just wonder if, if there's something like that that just debilitated you in the same way that this woman was. Or maybe you need to be restored relationally. Right? Maybe your marriage is a wreck. It's just you guys are like roommates, but there's no intimacy, there's no interaction. Right? Maybe, it's, uh, maybe your relationships with your children are strained. Maybe there's... Uh, a family member, whether it be a, a parent or a brother or sister that you've just been sort of estranged from because of, of some issue in the past that's just never been resolved. Right? Good grief. Maybe there's brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe even here in this room, that you, there's tension. Maybe you need relational restoration. 
And the good news this morning is that Jesus is powerful enough to restore. Right? Jesus' power to restore didn't stop back in first century Jerusalem. Right? We, we believe that Jesus is still powerful enough to bring healing and to bring restoration where it's needed, but it's going to require one, faith. Right? The woman responded to Jesus in faith. She moved towards Jesus in faith because she believed that Jesus was actually able to do something for her. If we're going to believe that Jesus is going to restore the things that are broken in us, it's going to require us to step toward him in faith, actually believe that he can do it. And then part of stepping forward in faith is, I would also submit it's going to require you, us, to step out of the shadows. Right? Just as Jesus called this woman out of hiding, for some of us, we just need to step out of hiding. We just step out of uh, anonymity, to step out of, of just these these. The shadows, the places where, where sin loves to dwell and grow and fester, we just need to step out. Right? To, to make yourself known as this woman made herself known. Right? And, and man, I want to love you enough to, to tell you that, that that's a hard step to take. It's a hard step to take. Right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be, be painful maybe. It might be uncomfortable. Maybe there's even some embarrassment mingled in there. So, but as hard as that might be, I would also submit to you that it's worth it. Right, you could ask this woman. Right, she, she stepped out. Jesus calls her out. Who was it that touched me? And she steps out and she, she makes herself vulnerable and known. Even though it says there was fear and trembling on her part, she makes herself known. And because of that, she's restored. And I wonder if that might be the need for some of us here this morning. Not that you have to like broadcast your life to everyone, but if you could find someone and just say, hey, here's where I am. I need, I need help. I need encouragement. I need you to pray for me. I need accountability. I just need help. Right? I think you would say that as, as hard as that might be to do, I think if you'd be willing to do that, you'd find out what this woman said. It's worth it. Because restoration is often on the far side of that. So, we could shut, shut it down right there. I think there's plenty of us to respond to in that moment. But the text also, uh, it, it goes on. Right? Because uh, look, look at verse 49. All right, we kind of get reintroduced to this 12-year-old uh, girl that we were introduced to in the beginning. Verse 49, it says, While he was still speaking, so Jesus is... I imagine still like talking to the crowd here where he's just healed this woman. While Jesus was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. So Jesus has just restored this woman both like vertically to God. He's restored her uh, relationally with other people. He's performed this miracle of, of restoration. And before he even gets done talking, we get the announcement that this 12-year-old girl that we were introduced to earlier has died. Right? It's a, what was already a, a desperate situation, she was dying, has now crossed the threshold into like, hopelessness and impossibility. That's why I say, don't, you know what, Jesus, it's too late. Don't trouble him anymore. She's dead. Right? Maybe we even blame this other woman for holding up the process, right? 
But, but here's Jesus' response in verse 50. It says, But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe. She will be made well. Jesus' invitation there is so simple. Do not fear, only believe. Right? Jesus tells his family, Here, you, you, don't have to, you don't have to do anything, just believe. In faith, believe that I am able to do the impossible. In faith, believe that I, Jesus, am able to move from death to life. And so that's Jesus leaves the crowded street and he goes into uh, a private room. I don't know if you've ever been in a room where someone has just died. Uh, it, it is a, a heavy place to be if you've never been there. And so just the weight of this moment, you can almost feel it. Where the woman in the street, she reached out to Jesus to, to heal her. Like this, this girl, she, she can't. She's dead. And so Jesus reaches out to her and he says he grabs her hand, verse 54, but taking her by the hand he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once. So just as the, the woman in the street was healed immediately, like the moment she touched Jesus' robe, this girl, the moment Jesus reaches out, touches her hand, and all he has to do is speak, child, arise. And she's brought to life. I don't know why I find it humorous, but part of me finds it humorous that the first thing that Jesus says is like, all right, she's going to need something to eat. She was just dead. She's probably hungry. Okay. Right, but he says, child, arise. She's healed immediately. And she's like, in her own way, instantly restored. Right. Not not from a life of uncleanliness like the first woman, but she's restored from death to life. And what is such a, a clear and vivid description of salvation. This is a, a clear picture of what Jesus has done for all who have called on him, trusted in him for the forgiveness of sin, for the hope of eternal life. I'm going to read to you these are uh, familiar words, maybe, if you've been around church for a while, but these are, these are Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to hear what Paul says. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So Paul's describing here, this is us uh, before Jesus or, or apart from Jesus. Like this was all of our story. Right? We were dead apart from Christ. Hopeless, lifeless, cut off. We were, it says we were uh, sons of disobedience, right? Or children of disobedience. Like apart from Jesus, like we're just, that's just what we do. We rebel against a holy God. Like that, that was our nature apart from Christ. Right? That's why he goes on and says that we were by nature children of 
wrath. Right? Apart from Jesus, apart from Christ, we're dead, we're hopeless, disobedient, destined to experience God's wrath. Aren't you glad you came to church to be encouraged this morning? But the good news, I mean, that's, that's a lot of bad news, I get it, but the, the good news of the gospel is that God doesn't leave us hopeless. God doesn't leave us dead and lifeless and cut off. Because Paul goes on to say this in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, hopeless, lifeless, cut off, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Right, this, this is a picture of salvation. Right? Before Jesus, there was a lot of bad stuff, right? Death, uh, disobedience, children of wrath. But after Jesus, right? Mercy, love, grace, kindness given to us, not because of anything that we've done, not because of how great we are, but because of God reached out. In the same way that, that Jesus reached out to this dead girl and grabbed her hand and said, child, arise. This is what God has done for us. He has moved towards us in the sending of his son. Right? God took the first step and he offers the gift of salvation. He offers us the ability to move from death to life if only we would trust and believe. Right? If only we would trust and believe. So here's the res response this morning. I've got two questions, all right? Two questions. The first one is this. Do you need to experience restoration? Maybe there's sin that needs to be confessed and repented of. Right? Maybe there's relational brokenness. I mean, we could go a million different ways, but I just wonder if, if in like the, the deepest parts of your heart and of your soul, you would say there's brokenness here that needs to be restored. And, and, and if so, I would just invite you to respond. One, in faith, by believing that Jesus is powerful enough to bring restoration where there is brokenness. And two, to respond as Jesus called the, the woman with the issue of blood to respond, to step out of anonymity to step out of the darkness, out of the hiding, out of the shadows, to make yourself known. I mean, this is like, you don't have to have it all together. I know we come to church on Sundays and we're like, hey, how's it going? Like, I'm blessed, brother, how are you? Right, and then behind the scenes, like there's just stuff. There just is. And then we put on the facade, like everything's great, I'm wonderful. And the reality is, is we've all got brokenness in some capacity. And so I just wonder if you might invite someone else into that, right? 
Because the reality is the, the cross of Jesus Christ has already outed you as being broken. Right? We're, we're not fooling each other here. Right? But you're not meant to walk in that alone. Right? It's in the hiding, it's in the shadows, it's in anonymity. That's where it grows and that's where the brokenness, like, like it's, it's crushing. And you're not meant to bear it alone. So I just wonder if, if in that place where you need the Lord to do some restoration, that you might invite someone into that, to respond in faith, to take a, take a step towards that this morning. And then the other, the other thing is this. So one, do you need restoration? And then I just, just want to ask, do you need salvation? Maybe you're, you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Jesus. Just to put it really bluntly, you are spiritually dead. Gosh, that's harsh. Yeah. Yeah, and I want to love you enough to tell you that. It, it is really harsh. It's really bad news. But the gospel is good news. And, and the good news of the gospel is that in the, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has offered you salvation. He has offered to move you from death to life. And you, you don't have to get everything figured out first. You don't have to clean up every area of your life first. Right? That's what the text we just read said, that even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. So maybe you're here this morning and you just, you've never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, for the hope of eternal life. I would just invite you into that this morning. Wherever you are, right? we, we have Jesus who, who meets us there. We surrender our lives to him. We submit our lives to him. And then he's the one that actually does the, the, the job of, of cleaning that stuff up. I just wonder if you would come. Right? So the invitation, wherever you are, you need to be restored, you need to experience salvation. The invitation is just to respond in faith. All right? Would you stand with me? The band is going to come and, and lead us in a song. And we're just going to sing about the grace and the mercy extended to us in Jesus. We're going to sing about how he, uh, he died to pay the, the debt for all of our sin, past, present, and future. And so and if you need to respond, you need someone to talk to, someone to pray with, uh, we'd love to do that. Right? We can meet down front. If you're more comfortable pulling us aside at the end of the service, we can have that conversation then too. But um, you know, we just plead with you to respond as the Lord leads. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and grateful that you are a God who restores. Uh, Lord, that you, uh, you, you meet us in our brokenness. Um, and Lord, and, and you bring restoration. We believe that you're powerful enough to do that this morning. And so I pray that you would. I pray that you would. I pray that we would offer um, the places in our life where where we just recognize that we need you to do some work. I pray that we would offer those to you. And then maybe, Father, there's someone here in this room or someone watching online. They've never, they've never ever repented of their sin, acknowledged their need for you as the payment for their sin. So I, I pray, Father, that if that's someone here in this room this morning, that they would respond in faith, that they would put their trust in you that they would repent from their sin, turn from their sin, 
that they would believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the full penalty for all of their sin. I pray that you might save this morning, that you might move from death to life. So Father, we, we want to respond obediently as you would have us. So work would give us, uh, give us the grace to respond. Lead us by your spirit to respond. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.